Well, I mean, this is this is indeed a puzzling question. I mean, uh, it's puzzling because at least recently in the last months, uh, Israel made a lot of gestures towards Gaza Strip, basically alleviating the pressure, enabling thousands of Gaza people to go and work in Israel to provide their families. That was definitely something that served Hamas interest, who was coming under a lot of pressure inside Gaza Strip. Uh, and, and also inside the Arab world for his responsibility for the gloomy reality of, of Gaza. So it seems like almost counterproductive in a way. So that's the reason why I'm saying this is puzzling. But when I'm trying to answer that question, which is a very significant one, I think I think that there, had, that there has been conjunction of two major components that actually fuel the decision of Hamas to launch that war. One is the um, is in the context of the inner Palestinian power struggle between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. Um, Hamas, in the last couple of years, uh, has been facing a growing criticism, as I said, in the Arab world, in Gaza Strip, uh, for its responsibility for the gloomy reality in Gaza Strip. That was coupled with a couple of recent years with the fact that. Um, Hamas um, came under a lot of criticism because he was sitting on the fence uh, while there has been two massive military rounds between Israel and Islamic Jihad in Gaza Strip. Uh, Hamas uh, echoes and, 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 and markets uh, the narrative of he's the one defending the Palestinian, he's the one defending Gaza Strip. So uh, Hamas find himself under a crossfire because, you know, people say, like, you are arguing that you are defending the Gaza Strip, but actually you sit and did nothing when Israel conducted these two military runs with Islamic Jihad. So all in all, I would say that in the last particularly couple of years, Hamas, uh, Hamas um, experienced a degrade or eroding, uh, eroding of, of his um, of his um, image and, and, and marketing, um, you know, brand, sort of speaking. So, so in the context of the inner Palestinian power struggle, that of course didn't serve Hamas. Um, so this is the this is one aspect. The other aspect has to do with the story of the normalization, roughly speaking, and particularly the story of the recent reports about uh, the growing Israeli-Saudi dialogue. Uh, look, the, the Abraham Records uh, fueled the growing sentiment of discontent, frustration, anger uh, within Palestinians who, who felt like their brothers, the Arabs, are deserting them, abandoning them. And that sense was further boosted following the reports about the Israeli-Saudi rapprochement and dialogue, and particularly following the, uh, the, the, the famous interview that MBS gave to Fox News, where where actually when he presents his so-called terms for any agreement with Israel, he basically didn't mention anything about the core demands of the Palestinians, meaning two-state solution, East Jerusalem is the capital state of the Palestinian state, the issues of the refugees. So for the Palestinians, that, that was some sort of like almost, you know, last nail in the coffin. And and indeed, Mahmoud Abbas was expressing a very hint you know, mild, delicate uh, criticism of that uh, MBS position, but he was very careful not to, to cross uh, the line. Well, how do Hamas, you explain the Hamas, fact? Uh, Hamas took it to a different place. Hamas actually said, well, this is the point where I, Hamas step in and make a very strong statement. And the essence of this statement is that if somebody thinks in the region that, you know, there should be, there could be any kind of like normalization, 
uh, when the Palestinians are excluded of the process or the Palestinians seemingly have no say about it, uh, that, that is that is that is a misconception. And 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 Hamas sent the message, and the message he sent. That's the message that we saw yesterday. He waged a war on the state of Israel. Hundreds, many hundreds of Palestinians were involved in the planning and execution of Saturday's uh, attacks. It, it seems almost impossible that Israeli intelligence would have no idea this was in the offing. Look, uh, the whole aspect of this huge uh, blow, huge surprise, Israel definitely is shocked and traumatized. Um, this whole issue obviously has to be thoroughly investigated and studied and explored, uh, you know, but it's it's a very multi-layer long process of learning and understanding what happened? Why did it happen? Where was the um, where were the points where basically things did not connect? Um, obviously, um, I could imagine. You know, one of the biggest reasons for this shock is the fact that Israeli intelligence was performing an outstandingly uh, achievements um, all along the way. I mean, Israeli intelligence time and time again, was was coming out as, as an, almost doing things that are imaginable. And so there has this, you know, this, this, this totally ultimate trust of the capacities of the Israeli intelligence. And there are enormously amazing capacities. So that makes the trauma and the shock even much more bigger. But again, these are this is only part of the many questions that has to be asked uh, when the time comes uh, to deal with it. Obviously, it's it's not something to deal with, uh, you know, an interview or short or article. It's something that has to be much more thoroughly uh, learned, examined, explored, which I hope and believe uh, will be the case. We're clearly heading for a major military operation now in Gaza. We know that there are scores or we believe there are scores of Israeli uh, civilians and soldiers being held now uh, hostage by Hamas. How difficult a factor does that make uh, for the Israeli military planners? Well, obviously, it's uh, it's adding to the already challenging uh, task. Um, though I would say that to, when I'm trying to look at it from a more, I would say, practical, you know, uh, planning process, I, I would say that this is, this is not necessarily the issue that captures the, the highest priority. Let's put it this way. Obviously, I could imagine that it has some place in the whole planning process. Um, but um, it seems like that um, um, you indicated the Probably, and I think that you're right, we are going to witness this massive, uh, massive, massive military uh, Israeli move. Um, that move will be, I would say, rolling on and, and, and moving on according to plans that are basically not first and foremost prioritizing the story necessarily of the, of the hostages with all the difficulties that uh, comes with that. Um, and so, obviously, as you say, that that adds enormously to the to the complexity of the of the um, of the situation. 
What do you think the aims will be or should be of these Israeli military operation? Are we talking about the total collapse of the Hamas regime and the Hamas infrastructure? And if so, what then? What comes after the military operation? Well, Mark, you're touching many aspects of a very difficult dilemma that Israel has been dealing with um, since 2005. You know, it's interesting. Israel left Gaza Strip in 2005. But I think that we didn't internalize You know, we left Gaza Strip and you say, okay, we want to be out of Gaza Strip. We want to be out of the Gaza mud. We don't want to sink in Gaza's mud. So we left Gaza Strip. But I think that we didn't really internalize all those years that indeed we left Gaza Strip. But we stayed in the mud, Uh, mostly because Hamas and Islamic Jihad forced us to stay in the Gaza mud. So you got a almost kind of like, you know, bizarre situation where you are not in Gaza, but you are basically sinking in the Gaza mud against your will. And, 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 and you are probably aware of this debate within Israeli establishment, intelligence, security, the public opinion regarding how should, be, how should Israel address this challenge of Gaza Strip. So there has been camp that says Israel should retake Gaza Strip and the camp that says like, no, Israel should not retake Gaza Strip. And... And in, in any case, obviously, the, the issue, the major issue was, as you said, the big, you know, question. Okay, so if Israel topples down Hamas, what's next? Who's going to take care of two million Palestinians? It will be on Israel's shoulder to take care of. So many questions, that all of them are very legitimate. And they basically, those questions, in the end of the day, will dominate in, in, in shaping this approach that actually said Israel should, know, should not go back to Gaza Strip. That was until yesterday. But we are now in a totally different page of the story. This is a totally different chapter. We are looking at a mega event, a mega event that has a regional ramifications and strategic ramifications. Um, now, what seems to be like going to be a, a massive Israeli ground operation in Gaza Strip, look, there is no point in, in launching a ground operation and assuming that is going to be the case and assuming that is going to be enormously massive ground operation. There is no point in order to do that for, I don't know, revenge feeling or for whatever. It has to be oriented in a very specific strategic uh, objectives. Now, I look at this whole situation, and I, considering the the very likely possibility that we are going to see a massive war in Gaza Strip and between Israel and Gaza, um, I would say something. And by the way, we may witness the expanding of this war to the Lebanese arena. I would say that, interesting enough, I think that that specific story, that specific chapter or or junction where we are right now, following yesterday, uh, could offer some interesting strategic uh, shift that could be positive for for Israel and for uh, factors in the region who, like Israel, are, are looking for stability and they have to deal with a major challenge, and this is the Iranian challenge, because the story of Gaza Strip is very much related to the Iranian challenge. Um, Look, Iran is enhancing its hegemonic vision, and it's part of its master plan. Uh, 
the Iranian established this this what we call the ring of fire. This is this is kind of like a, a crescent around Israel's neck, stretching from Lebanon, Syria, and Gaza Strip, where you got uh, domestic Iranian-backed proxies like Hezbollah or Islamic Jihad and Hamas in Gaza and others. And the Iranian master plan is actually that those components in their terms are kind of like, you know, uh, exhausting Israel in this re- repeating round. And, and the idea was to, is to actually to combine, to unify those arenas one day when the circumstances uh, will come and, and be in the, same, the right spot, so to speaking, to, to, to launch simultaneously this massive war on Israel simultaneously from those arenas. What's the strategic aspect? The strategic aspect is if Israel is deciding to severely cripple, severely cripple, if not uh, eliminating Hamas ruling capacities, that is basically creating a, a new switch, a new twist in the whole story. That That is kind of like taking this, the, the Iranian master plan out of balance. And one of the interesting things that we have to look very closely is to see what will happen with the Lebanese arena, because I'm not so sure currently where the Hezbollah exactly stands in the context of the war. But it's likely that, as I expect, we are going to witness this massive collision, massive collision, a massive Israeli border. And we are going to see, you know, Israeli forces rolling into Gaza to end the whole story. It, it won't be before too long when Iran and Hezbollah will have to make a decision. Are they going to jump in or they're going to stay out? And in, in that perspective, last night there was a very significant uh, message from the United States, not mentioning them by the name, but basically clearly addressing Iran and Hezbollah. United States actually said, stay out, which is a very significant message. So we are looking at a very, very significant Milestone, as I said before, this is a mega event with regional and strategic ramifications. That could be one of the potential ramification or potential development. Again, it's very fluid, but we have to follow and look at things through the, that perspective. Um, obviously, we can clearly say that what we see today is totally different uh, from what was until uh, you know the day before yesterday. Um, and and we'll have to follow the, the, the developments on the ground.